Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I've got an awesome conversation to share with you. We're focusing on the social media side of things today. And we have Chris Bruno, the founder of Social Inc. with us. And we're talking about, among other things, why growth hacking is nonsense, which I love that. Uh, We're also talking about bad profits, uh, how to be the online champion for your business, and how to do that by putting the social back into social media. And that's what Chris's agency does. And they work with small and medium-sized businesses. Chris himself is a thought leader and a podcast host. Uh, He's encouraging people essentially when they're clients to become more of a thought leader and get out there and start publishing content that leads in their space. And one of the things we talked about is that people have a hard time looking at social media as something other than a media platform and looking at it more as a place to have conversations. And that's what Chris tries to persuade and instill in their best clients. And the ones that have the most success are the ones that embrace that approach, right? And go out and be social on social media rather than just using it as a platform to shout at people, which is very much in line line with what we talked about here on the show. So if you don't know about Chris, he's awesome. I was a guest on his show. I brought him onto my show. He's the founder of Social Inc., which is a digital marketing agency that started in Gibraltar and then moved to London in 2014. When I talked to Chris, he was in London and his team is all around the world. So uh, very similar to the way that I run my podcast production agency. Uh, They no longer have an office. They no longer have people rolling in. They pay people all around the world that are specialists in what they do. And they pay because they get results and they get better people, better talent. And so we've talked to them a little bit about how they they do that and how they pull that off. Uh, And Chris has been in sales and marketing for a decade. He's run and owned magazines, online TV channels, and created more clients than you can can shake a stick at. I love the way his brain works. I love that they are taking the same types of views and perspective that, uh, that I and a lot of other people have about social media and about what works and teaching it and helping clients implement it at the agency level. So he knows what's working on social media right now. And I love his perspective on growth hacking. And we're going to jump into that, including the two questions that should guide all of your social efforts. So without further ado, here's Chris Bruno of Social Inc. Chris, officially welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. I know the uh, the pod, the conversation we had before we hit record on the podcast was so good. We're trying to catch up, and now <laughs> like, we're probably going to try to rehash some of the things we were talking about. Uh, but let me ask you this: when you when you run into, let's say, other entrepreneurs, other agency owners, what do you tell people that you do? So really simple. We're a digital marketing agency. We specialize in working with small to mid-sized businesses, and we're all about putting the social back into social media. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that I wouldn't really want to hit on today because I'm, I'm finding the same things and, and we both have very similar beliefs about social media. Um, what just give me a quick rundown, like the, um, 
So you work with people in different niches. So you're not, you're not niched down in the sense that you turn away people that aren't in the, you know, some certain industry, but you are niched down in the sense that you're looking for the right type of person who believes some of the same things that you do. So de- tell me like psychographically, demographically or whatever, who's the right person for you guys that like fits into your world? Yeah. So I think probably like every other entrepreneur or any other small business, when you're first starting, you learn by experience and you learn by things that go wrong. Let's say it nicely. So we've done the things like chasing money, uh, high value clients, because it was awesome to get extra cash and stuff like that. And invariably what ends up happening is, is people don't necessarily value the core proposition of what we offer and why we're doing it. Um, and by them not actually valuing it, it means that they become the worst possible clients to work with and something that in the company we still refer to now as bad profits. Mm. We don't want to work with businesses who genuinely believe social media is something that has to be done, but they don't even understand why they're doing it or why they want to do it or anything like that. So we've kind of ended up niching down in the sense of we want to work with small to mid-sized businesses that really believe the same as we do that social media still offers today one of the biggest opportunities for clients and businesses out there uh, to, to, to find prospects to build an audience to, to get their message out there um, but we don't want to work with people for the sake of it or for the sake of earning some extra money we really want to be creative we want to have fun and again we always come back to the same thing we want to put social back into social media and that takes time, it takes effort, and it takes buy-in from the company. So it takes the right kind of company, no matter how small they are, especially in the early days, but it takes the right kind of buy-in from them to actually get them the results that they want. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I love the phrase bad profits, and I completely agree. Like we both run, I would call them like lifestyle supportive businesses. Um, you and I both have you know, fully distributed international kind of teams with people all over the place. I don't think either one of us really has a quote unquote office where, where people roll into. So we have very similar beliefs and structures there. And so like, it's really, really important that we don't take the money just to take the money, right? We don't have a huge office overhead. We don't have people that are paid full time where if we don't take on a certain job, they're out on the street. We have to start firing people, you know, uh, just to, like, we just have to take jobs just to keep people's salaries. So we're in a very strong position there. So I love the phrase bad profits. So I want to break this up into two parts. First of all, I want to talk about putting the social back in social. And then we'll talk about just what you guys do from a leadership perspective and setting the culture for a, for a virtual team. So we'll get to that in a minute. But when we talk about social, uh, I mean, I'm of the belief that for most entrepreneurs and, and very small businesses, they should really go deep into one platform and at least get, get successful and understand what it takes to build a successful platform in one place first. Um, so I don't know if you believe exactly the same thing or, or how, how would you like people to approach, uh, social media when you work with a client? Yeah, absolutely. So I think don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, that's the kind of standard where we talk to people, they say to us, especially at the beginning, early days, we'll start having conversations and they'll be like that, right? What we want is Twitter. We want Facebook. We want Instagram. We want YouTube. We want a Vimeo account. We want and eventually you get to the point you go, slow down for a second. What are you putting out on all this? And they go, I don't know, like you guys figure that out. <laughs> so when we start then sort of breaking that down and you start explaining, you know, that's going to cost you 10 to 15 grand a month to create that much content, they quickly go, well, what could we do for a little bit more of a reasonable price, for example? Um, so what's really interesting is, like you said, picking one or two channels where you feel comfortable or where you understand what you're doing, but most importantly, that it aligns with your goals is going to be super important. So talking to somebody actually earlier today on a, on a different podcast, but we were talking about the idea uh, of what was her favorite. And she said, well, professionally, it's got to be LinkedIn. You know, we're a B2B SaaS engine and this is what we do. And this is why I can use this to find people, to educate people, to get involved with people, to have conversations and to meet people at conferences. 
And I thought the answer was superb because of the fact it wasn't, I like X, that's it. Mm -hmm. It was a reasoned and a justified kind of sensible look. Our goal as a B2B SaaS platform is to meet yeah. more businesses. And the best place for me to do that is to find the right decision makers within the right businesses that we want to work with, and then to start making relationships and building that relationship. Yeah. So I would always say for individuals, especially, and, it's, and small to mid-sized businesses more than anything else, usually the founder, the CEO, whoever's running the company, whoever started the company should be the champion of the business. And they are, even if they don't recognize it, but they are the champion. They're the guy who goes out and closes. They're the guy who does the pitches. He's the guy who does the events or she. Um, and literally, they are the face. So the same thing should be true on social media. For whatever the purpose is, whether it's B2B or B2C, they're the ones that should really be out there. They're the ones that should be giving a real impression of who the company is, who's behind the company. And I think that's what's going to really help to build business. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, and I think that's why like when, when I tell people about like becoming micro-famous or being famously influential, to the right people. Um, some entrepreneurs and some business owners really grab onto that. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I need. Some are a little bit more reluctant. Uh, I've got a client right now that uh, he's just not into having conversations on social media, wants all the benefits, but doesn't want to do that because just outside of the comfort zone. He would rather the company be the face of the company. The problem is, is like it, the company is not that size. You don't have the money you don't have Nike and Starbucks money to where the brand is the face of the brand. And, and to me, that's really what it takes. Like it takes 30, 40 years in business and a lot of ad dollars and a lot of word of mouth. And then you get a brand to where the brand is the face of the brand. Until then, you are the face of the brand. Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, I think most people lean towards that idea and they've absorbed it from kind of the environment that we're in, which is that the way to get there the fastest is to be everywhere. And I think the exact opposite. I think the, the key is to really be in one place first and ha like ha have actual conversations. Because I think you and I are seeing the same thing, which is the algorithms are not in favor of just throwing content up there <laughs> and building an audience. Now, it's not that you can't throw content up there. We, you and I have probably both done that. We've both taken content and just put it on a channel because the client says, I want to be there and I just want content going there. Like, okay, fine. We'll put content there. Got to. But I think what we've seen probably just since you and I have been running agencies is that there's been a massive shift by the social networks themselves to punish that, right? They're yeah, literally punishing it. At least yeah. that's what I'm seeing. No, no, they are. And the thing is they're making it more difficult. So everybody wants the benefits of, you know, being the next Gary Vee and hundreds of people wanting to work with you or one thing or another. People don't necessarily want to put in the effort of creating 30, 40 pieces of content every single day split across 15 different channels, plus also all the impact that goes on behind that and all the outreach that goes on behind that and everything that needs to happen to make that really work. So when you have this conversation, funny enough, it came up yesterday and in in basically with five startups having a chat and one of them said, you know, how much money should I be spending on Facebook ads? I, I don't know. Don't spend any. Like, why, why do you need to spend money so far? I was like, do you have any revenue before you start spunking money? I was like, what are, what are the other things that you could do? And funnily enough, you have the conversation and people's impression is the only way to use Facebook is to put something up and spend a fortune to get it seen by the right people. And yes, that is one way of doing it. And yes, if you've got the money, you can start by doing things like that. But what I was trying to explain to him was, is there not 20, 30 people that you could find by going into the masses of groups, the other people's, um, other people's comments, other people's content that they posted up that's about something similar and having conversations with some of the people that are really engaged with this topic and seeing what you could actually develop from there. 
And when you say that, people go, oh, yeah, well, I've done it before. I've been into groups and I've dropped my link to my Facebook page. You know, that, that, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. talking about having conversations. I'm talking about meeting someone. And again, like we were talking about this before we started recording, but we use the example loads. You know, it's like dating or it's like starting a relationship. You don't walk over to somebody in, the, in a bar that you like and say, right, we're getting married. We're going to have two kids. Let's move into the house that I just bought and let's go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a conversation. There's a process. There's questions. There's answers. There's trying to find out who the people are, what they're doing, who they're, what they're about, what they honestly believe. And that builds a relationship. And it feels like when we go online, we forget all of those rules of society. And literally, we go to walking up to the girl in the bar and shouting, Hey, buy this. It's 10% off. And you know, Whoa, like you wouldn't do that in real life. Like why would you do it in, in online? So we, we have this conversation a lot with people and, you know, being ready to prepare or being ready or prepared to put in the work and make that effort. That I think is the number one thing. So, you know, making sure that you understand you can't just put something up and go viral. I'm sure this is something you've heard from clients. You know, I want to go viral. You go, Sorry, mate. Like even the principle of going viral means I can't make that happen. You know, mm-hmm. that's the idea of going viral. It doesn't happen because somebody wanted it to happen. Um, and I think that's something that's really hard to, to kind of explain to some companies and explain mm-hmm. to some startups. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face. Yeah. And, and I face it every day. Uh, so we're, you know, we're running a, a podcast service for typically like entrepreneurs and they're, they're usually coaching, consulting, like they care about people, but they're, they are, I would say knee deep in the operations, right? And so they're, they're, they really, really deeply care about getting people results. And so, but a lot of that mental effort and energy gets poured into the coaching or the consulting relationship behind the scenes. And they don't take that same approach when they think about having the conversations in the outside world that gets people to be interested in their in their service. If for, for whatever reason, there's like a, there's like a disconnect there, right? So they, they care very deeply and they have these amazing conversations or, you know, these amazing relationships with, with their clients behind the scenes, but they don't translate that into their marketing. They think that the, the marketing can be relationshipless, you know, uh, which is odd. I don't, I don't know why that is, but there does seem to be, we were talking a little bit about growth hacking before we hit record. And I'd love, I'd love to hit on that a little bit because I think the, the, unintended consequence of the Gary V's, the Grant Cardone's, the growth hackers of the world has been the idea that if you just go to the right person, whether it's a marketer or an agency or whatever, that you can hack your way to growth. And you have a really interesting perspective on growth hacking, which I think I would 100% agree with. So I'd love to go down that road a little bit. So when you when you look at growth hacking, what do you think of it as? So I, I think we were talking about it before. We actually had an article go, go out on our own agency website blog talking about growth hacking. Uh, and I was immediately very, very upset uh, with the team because of the fact that I hate the term. Um, <laughs> so, anyone so wait, your team published it and you, like you see in the headline, you're like, all right, let's pull this back. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it because it was literally about trying to explain to people what, what that definition is. Oh, okay. um, and there is a reason to have it up there. And I get that. But my issue with it is, is it's, it's like we're trying to pretend there's a quick and easy way to make this happen. Uh, and I think even the term, you know, I'm going to teach you how to growth hack your way to 100,000 followers or whatever. It, it's absolute nonsense. You either are willing to put in the work and you'll get the results. Uh, and that's going to include some work that gets you zero results and some work that gets you a ton of results. Um, or you're going to basically con somebody and either pay for likes or whatever it is so that you can pretend like, yeah, look at me, I've got 100,000 followers. Yes. The, the biggest issue from that and, and from my side of things, and I think, you know, Gary Vee, we were talking about him earlier again, 
I think Gary Vee's got a huge amount of good points that he, that he gets across. And I think he puts out so much free content there for people um, that there's a ton of wealth. There's a wealth of knowledge. Like it's huge what you could take away from that. But again, it's going to depend on who takes it away and what they're actually looking for. Because there's not one thing that Gary said that I think if you went and implemented that, that you would transform your life and you'd have a business overnight or anything like that. Because I don't know anyone who could sell you that. I don't know any mm. agency. I don't know any marketer. I don't know any copywriter, graphic designer, anything that's going to click their fingers and magically make something happen. Mm. And for all of us, it becomes uh, an experimentation phase. That's what it is. I mean, especially for digital marketing, uh, you try something, it doesn't really work. You don't really get a good response. You try again. And for each of our clients, when we have this kind of conversation, no matter how much we believe we know what's going to work, we're still surprised on a regular basis. Mm. All the stuff that we thought was going to absolutely crush it doesn't end up doing as well. And actually, it's something that we put out there as a bit of a you know, far liar. We thought, oh, let's see what happens. And then suddenly that does actually do really well. And we think, wow, like we never saw that coming. And that's after 11 years of doing this. You know, we set up a year after Facebook went public. We started working with companies on Facebook within a year after that. And literally, we were doing things when it was brand new. It was great. I mean, literally, the organic, the organic reach for, oh, for companies back then was fantastic. <laughs> um, I miss those days so much. Yeah, but... Um, but the idea being, you know, it's all been experimentation. It's been over a decade of, uh, of still trying and still learning and still doing things differently to see what does work, see what doesn't. And then to try and replicate the successes of when it does and when it doesn't, obviously you don't replicate. But that's, I think, the biggest message. And so many people lose that. They, they want the 10x magic formula yeah. and it doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Like when we're, when we're talking with clients, because I've been thinking about like how to, re, how to reframe that. Because there, there's a phrase that you mentioned, which I think is true, but... I think that I think there might be a way to reframe this. I'm just I'm just throw this out there and see what you think. So when you talk about figuring out what works and like especially when it comes to building an audience on social media and you mentioned the phrase like, like you have to be willing to put in the work. Like the people that I work with like they they enjoy the conversations. They like they enjoy talking to the people that eventually sign up as clients. Like they have a passion to serve this group of people. I don't know that that's always the case if you get into mid and large size companies where you're dealing with executives and they just want to grow the business. They they're like they're not talking to customers every day. But like with smaller companies, like that they're, they're usually passionate about their customers because they started the business for a reason. They actually genuinely enjoy talking to these people. I don't know what what exactly the disconnect is where they go into social and expect to build an audience without being social by just putting it as a, as a media platform. But I wonder if we, if we reframe how we talk about it to be more about the conversations and like, and, and basically saying it's not about you, it's not about you working or doing quote unquote the hard work to build an audience. It's about getting out there and having conversations that we know you already enjoy. Like we just need to have, we need to have you have more conversations and have them in a public way so that other people can see them and start to build a relationship with you at scale. I so saw I'm yeah. kind of playing around with kind of a way to reframe that, not as more work, but as doing more things that you already enjoy, which is the conversation about, you know, with the people that you actually want to teach and lead. So, so we reframed this the other day for, for one of the startups on a, on a course and mm -hmm. really simple question was, who are you doing this for? And, you know, they could literally almost give me the exact psychological breakdown of their perfect client persona. And I went, that's, that's incredible. Like you are so detailed in the targeting of one thing or another. So the next question was, 
Uh, when was the last time you asked your audience or these people in this very specific group what they wanted? And everyone mm -hmm. kind of goes quiet and right. they suddenly realize uh, we don't. We tell them what we think they need to hear. You go, well, okay, great. But now let me stop you. So I can tell you, you need to do better on social media. And they go, well, okay, so yeah. And I go, or I could ask you, how can I help you do something on social media? How can I help you make mm. Facebook more interactive and engaging for your clients? How can I help you in terms of, or what do you need help with? Or what would you say your biggest challenge is? And suddenly, literally, by just turning it around from, instead of me sprouting what I think you want to hear, why don't I just ask you? Mm -hmm. Like, it's such a simple concept, but when we have, again, I go back to the dating thing loads with people. When you start that date, you don't say, I love to sail and sailing's the best thing in the world. And I love to like being on the sea and on my boat. And that's what the way in like, somebody looks at it and goes, wow, I get seasick. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And you go, oh crap. Okay. Right. But actually how you really approach dating while well, most people that are successful approach dating is they'd start by saying, okay, well, what are you into? What sort of things do you like? What sort of things don't you like? Uh, have you been anywhere nice recently? And do you do any activities? Do you have a hobby? And suddenly you've got an opening for a conversation. Mm -hmm. And the same thing should be applying to all of our social medias. And I'm not saying that that means you can't post the blog out. But, you know, right. we've got one of our slides in, in one of our constant pitch decks that we always talk to people. And it's just a woman holding a massive megaphone. And that's what <laughs> right. people are doing. They're using social media like it's a megaphone. And I am just shouting what I want to tell you. And the real problem with that is, well, what are you getting back for it? What are you, yeah, fine. Some people read your blog article, great. But how much are you learning about your, your audience? How much are you learning about where your business needs to go next mm -hmm. from the actual people who are paying you or the people who are going to pay you or the people that you want to pay you? Those are the people you really want to find out. What are they thinking? What do they want to know more about? What are the things that they're struggling with the most, especially for coaching style businesses, you know, open the conversation up. So don't always presume, but actually... And again, I, I say it because when you do ask somebody, you go, if you were going on a first date, and as soon as you ask this, people go, oh, crap, I'm doing social media wrong. And you go, well, <laughs> it, but it's true. Yeah. Like, if you went on a first date, would you take out an article you just written and go, read that? Yeah. Or would you actually say like, hey, so where are you from? What do you do? Well, tell us a bit about you, one thing or another. And you start conversations. And I think that's one of you know, the biggest pieces of advice I can give anyone and any small businesses or mm -hmm. mid-sized businesses, coaches, solopreneurs, doesn't matter what you're doing. That is the biggest thing. How do you get somebody to open up and say something about what they're going through to you? Because that's how you have a conversation. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Although when I go on a first date, I have my bio laminated. I just hand it to them <laughs> and I can read that first. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to I wanna close out with, uh, with talking a little bit about the virtual team. Before we do, what's the best way for people to uh, connect, reach out, and uh, especially connect with the agency? Yeah, absolutely. So we're Social Link. You can find us pretty much everywhere under Social Link underscore co, I believe. Uh, so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, pretty much everywhere. Um, and for myself, it's at just Chris Bruno on um, Twitter uh, or again, LinkedIn, just Christopher Bruno. You'll find us there under Social Link as well. Yeah, I was going to that follow up question to that is where, where what's your favorite? Like, where are you actually active the most? tough question i'm supposed to be active everywhere right uh, i've got to be like the, i've got to be like the gary v of the agency yeah, exactly. um, where, where do you where do you go deep where do you build your relationships so to be honest with you linkedin i spend a lot yeah. of time on and twitter uh, is recently becoming a lot more interesting to me and spending a lot more time there 
Yeah, very cool. All right. So so take me back. You guys are running no no office and you're splitting time. You're like you're about to go take off for, you know, the Bali or next month or something like that. You're gonna go spend like the classic the classic entrepreneur, the the digital nomad. You're gonna I'm I'm gonna see some uh, some LinkedIn pictures of you on a laptop on a beach somewhere. Um but take me back. I'm curious, when did you hire your first truly virtual team member? So truly virtual, I'd say it was probably back in 2016. Um, we had the Brexit referendum here in the UK. Everything started to go a little bit pitong. People were cutting contracts, not wanting to do much with us and everything else. So at that stage, I binned what was the last remnants of an office, which I believe we were we, we work at the time. Um, and I decided this just isn't happening ever again. The factors that you talk about, exactly the same things, but you know, having a massive office bill every month, having staff bills and one thing or another where you look at it and you say, right, this means now that I have to accept jobs because if not, we don't make payroll, we don't make rent payments or whatever it was. And at that stage, I kind of went, right, this, this is changing and it's changing forever. Um, so by the start of 2017, we uh, basically started working in a completely different model. We brought in uh, a VA who started with us, I think, just after the summer of 2017. Um, and she's gone on to become actually our head of social media at the agency. Wow. So she's now uh, working full time with us two years later. Um, but literally it was a case of we didn't want to have, I, I didn't want to have any more ties to anything that meant that I couldn't live the life that I wanted to live. Yeah. And this is something that I think is really important. You know, that doesn't mean I'm not sensible. It doesn't mean I don't work hard. It doesn't mean that because I'm traveling, I'm sat on a beach all day, every day. Uh, in 2017, I built my business back up after the Brexit side of things had happened. Uh, we came back stronger than ever. We've had two years in a row of just pure growth, which has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I did it whilst visiting 22 different countries during the course of wow. 2017. So the digital nomad phrase, and for all the people that I know that do still refer to themselves as that, uh, I hate as a phrase because it's very quickly misunderstood as I'm going on holiday, I took my laptop and I'm going to spunk all my savings working on a project, mm -hmm. um, which is a real shame. But actually having that freedom and having that ability to be able to move around, you know, what we're doing right now, I could be here, I could be anywhere in the world. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. You're, in, you're on the opposite side of the globe to me. We can have these conversations and you can keep these relationships going. And there's nothing that impacts us nowadays that used to. You know, you don't need your fax machine at home to, to give you the latest information for business. We're all connected. We're all online. So literally we can move out and do it from anywhere. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, and then just from a, like a practical or, or maybe, um, dip into the leadership side a little bit, what are your, or do you have any tips? Let's put it that way. Do you have any tips for keeping people on the same page and building a good culture where everybody's working remotely? Yeah. So I think everything starts with the right people. Um, and unfortunately the best way I found to figure that out is trial and error so far. That's <laughs> <laughs> say I've started hiring two people at the same time. So I know I know what you mean. Yeah. It's um it's unfortunate, but it's true. And especially when it comes to remote, because again, it's a bit like that digital nomad thing where people think that means you can sit on the beach until you run out of money and then have to go and get a real job, as they say. But actually it's the same thing when it comes to remote. People believe that you've got a remote position, which means you can sit in front of the TV all day and uh, and not necessarily do anything. That doesn't work. It's not what the idea of this is. So all of my guys, you know, there's five of us now in the company plus a web dev team that are based out of India. Everyone knows that I don't care if you're taking a day off or you want to take a day off or you want to take time off. In fact, we don't even have a tracking in place to see how many days anyone's taken off. 
But what does matter to me is what's actually happening. Are we covered? Is the business constantly working? And the only way to get that right is to get people that really understand and that buy into that themselves because they want the freedom and therefore they're willing to put the hard work in. The team that I have currently, I am super lucky. And to be honest with you, some days they make me feel bad because at 9.30 p.m., I'll be deciding to sit down with a glass of wine and, and sort some stuff out and just sort of watch TV or whatever else. And I'll start getting messages as they're plowing through to get stuff ready for next week or for whatever else. And literally it's when you realize it's those people that make this work. It's the way we all believe in it. And the same thing, vice versa. You know, there's days where something will keep me up all night and I'll end up working all night on that problem or on the solution for it. And by the time the morning comes, I'll put that out to the guys and then go, and I'm out. I'm going to go and sleep it off because I've been up till five in the morning. But everyone realizes, you know, that's just part and parcel of it. It's, it's yeah. a, the real reason for it. So I think, again, number one, really the best people for, for the job, people who really understand that, you know, working remotely doesn't mean you're not working. It means you're just doing it from somewhere else or from wherever you want. Uh, and the second thing I say is communication. Like mm. the biggest thing I hear people say that they failed and one thing or another is that they've sent out a task to a VA and then six weeks later they've checked in on it and it didn't work out. And you sit there thinking, well, Sorry to tell you, but probably the same thing would have happened in an office if you had gone out into the bullpen and shouted something at someone and then legged it into your office and out, not open. You have to have that open conversation. And there's so many tools out there nowadays that are great. You can do this Slack, WhatsApp, it doesn't matter. Mm. We use Workplace by Facebook actually at the moment because we wanted to try that. We found it really good so far. Yeah. Um, but we're constantly in there and there's banter, there's chat, there's serious stuff, there's work, there's client stuff. It doesn't matter. But we're constantly in communication. So it means that we have this ability to, I say banter, um, sometimes it can, can be excessive, but that's what you kind of want. You want to have a good relationship. Yeah, you got you you to make up for the lack of the water cooler. You know? That's exactly it. And, and I think that's the important thing that people don't realize by not having that water cooler or by not having you know the beer tap in the WeWork office where you used to work or whatever it might be. If people don't have that ability to actually chat and to build, again, building a relationship, then you don't have a company. You've basically got four freelancers sat around a, a set of computers in different parts of the world. And that doesn't really help anyone. It doesn't really benefit anyone in the long term. And it means you know you don't have that cohesion. You don't have people looking after each other. You don't have people having each other's backs when something happens. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, we're, we're moving to the Facebook workplace is interesting. I put that out to the team to see if they wanted to. And their vote was they'd rather have a closed... Facebook group and try that first. Uh, I have a client whose entire team, like hundreds of agents is all on Facebook workplace uh, and it's working well for them. So I'm interested to see kind of where that goes. Uh, and, and my team might jump on that at some point. So it's cool to hear this working for you. But Chris, this is awesome. Exactly what I had in mind. We should have recorded it from the very beginning and we probably <laughs> split into two parts. Uh, but this is awesome. Yeah. I hope people look you up. So you're on LinkedIn, Twitter, and then they can find Social Inc. pretty much everywhere and grab your content and kind of get into a relationship with you guys. Absolutely, man. And it's been great. Awesome. I think, like you said, if we had recorded the first bit, it might even have been better than some of our answers the second time around. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to uh, come back for a part two. Sounds good to me. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.